0: Our scripture reading for today comes from Luke 15, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 11 through 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, actually these parables. There are several that he tells, and this is one of them. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property and they began to celebrate now his elder son was in the field when he came and approached the house he heard music and dancing he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on and he replied your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound then he became angry refused to go in His father came out and began to plead with him, but but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, but now he has been found. This is the word of God for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we believe that you continue to love the lost and the wandering. We believe that you rejoice over everyone who changes their ways and turns to you. And so we pray that you would come among us today and that in your love and mercy, you would redeem us from our lostness. You would rescue us from our wanderings. You would restore us from our brokenness. You would release us from our bondage and receive us into your family. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: As a member of the trustees, I've uh, come to realize what a wonderful, unique building we have to share God's message and love with the community. We are very fortunate to have this facility. Will you all pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, bless us all. Bless this building. Bless these tithes and offerings. May we always walk in your footsteps. And may your heart be filled with joy when you look down upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Retired seminary professor Fred Craddock was preaching on the parable of the prodigal son one Sunday, but after the service, a man came up to him and said, I really didn't care much for that, frankly. And so Craddock asked, why not? The man said, well, I guess it's not your sermon. I just don't like that story. So Craddock asked, well, what is it that you don't like about it? And he said, it's not morally responsible. So Craddock asked, what do you mean by that? And the man said, forgiving that boy was not the right thing to do. So Craddock asked, well, what would you have done? And the man said, I think when he came home, I, he should have been arrested. Well, Craddock says, this fellow was serious. Craddock thought the man was about to tell him a joke, but the the man was really serious. According to Craddock, this man belonged to an unofficial organization that never has any meetings, doesn't have a name, but it's a very strong network, which Craddock calls quality control people. They are the moral police, mandatory sentences. No parole and executions. Craddock asked the man, what would you have given the prodigal? And the man suggested six years. Don't know where that came from, but thought it would be fair for the man to get six years. Quality control people, moral police. This man wanted the same strict standards that apply to industry and to the law to apply also in relationships within the family as well as our relationship with God. Mandatory sentences, no parole, and executions. Now let me ask you something. Would you like for that man to be your dad? (laughs) Jesus was telling a parable about God. Would you like for God to operate on the basis of mandatory sentences for doing something wrong? But be careful how you answer that because, according to the Bible, all of us have done wrong. And it's only by the grace of God that any of us stand a chance in the first place. It's one of the best known stories in the Bible. The man who had two sons and the younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he he divided his property between them. And according to some experts, when the younger son demanded his share of the estate, he was basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. And so the son took his newfound wealth and headed off to see the world. And he squandered his wealth in, in wild living but after he spent all of his money, he, he hit hard times, and he needed a job, but the only job he could find was feeding the pigs for a local farmer, and he was desperate, and he was so hungry that even the pig slop was beginning to look good to him. But then he came to his senses, the Bible says, and I love that phrase, he came to his senses, which is which is really the beginning of repentance. And he said, all of my father's servants have all the food that they want and here I am starving to death. I'll go back to my father and say, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming down the road and Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Well, the son began his spiel that he had been practicing all along the way. But the father interrupted him and, and said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe you can find and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and, and some shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and let's kill it and celebrate for my son was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's come back home. What a wonderful story of grace. Back in 1990, Michaela Moore's son, Jeff, moved to Arizona to work as a computer technician, and Michaela back in Portland, Oregon, looked forward to his weekly telephone calls. But after after a few years in Arizona, Jeff's phone calls began to taper off and she didn't get them as often. And then they disappeared altogether. And when Michaela's letters to him were returned, she decided that she would go to Arizona to investigate. And Michaela found out that Jeff had become addicted to crystal meth. And and one day, Jeff had just walked away from his house and, and his job, and nobody knew where he was. For the next three years, Michaela made it her mission in life to find her son. She flew back and forth between Oregon and Arizona, canvassing Jeff's old neighborhood and talking to his friends and associates. Michaela's quest to find her drug-addicted son led her into some of the most dangerous, run-down neighborhoods that you can imagine. She witnessed horrible decay and poverty and, and, uh, in, in these drug-infested hell holes. She faced constant threats to her personal safety. And at one point, she even dressed like a homeless woman in order to relate to the street people that she was talking to and trying to find information about her her beloved son. And then finally, after three years, Michaela made contact with someone who knew Jeff and she remembers distinctly the day she found him. Jeff rode up on his bicycle. He had lost a lot of weight and his teeth were rotting and he was bruised from a recent beating. But he had ridden on his bicycle for 10 miles in the sweltering Arizona heat to find her. And they literally ran into each other's arms. Jeff had been trying to fight his addiction, but he had been afraid to contact his mother because he was afraid of how his addiction would would hurt her. Well, you'd be happy to know that Jeff Moore moved back to Oregon got a steady job and he joined Narcotics Anonymous. Michaela and Jeff's story appeared in Newsweek magazine, however this is a story that is repeated all too often in families all across our nation. And don't think that church families are immune to the curse of losing a child to chemical addiction or even to crime. For you see. There are many, many parents in every echelon of society who wait and who worry about a son or a daughter who has wandered away from home and from their values. Many, many years ago, comedian Chanda Pierce met a young woman named December. And December's father was a pastor. Well, many preacher's kids feel a lot of pressure from their parents and from their parents' churches to be perfect little children. And December knew that she would never be good enough for the people at her dad's church, so December began to rebel against her family and against her family's, her her church's expectations. And, And by the time she was late in her teens, she was living on the streets. She spent most of her nights partying and sleeping with any man who caught her eye. Sometimes she would slip into her parents' church during the service, but she would always leave before anybody got a chance to talk to her. And then after she became pregnant, December decided to return to her parents, and she expected them to respond with shame and and condemnation, but instead, December's parents welcomed her back with open arms. She says the bottom line is that I came back to my family and to my God because they loved me with no strings attached. They forgave me. I thought that I could do something to make them disown me, but I was wrong. My friends, it could literally happen to any family, and, and nothing will tear your heart out like a child who leaves home and nothing is heard from them again. There is a book of tales from Appalachia that includes some old ghost stories. Uh, some of them are scary, some of them are funny, some eccentric, and some of them are just plain Tragic. In uh, Henderson County, North Carolina, they tell the story of a ghost that haunts Mount Hebron Church Road, and people say that on some nights, if you travel down Mount Hebron Church Road, you might, you might catch a glimpse of a woman dressed all in black from, from, uh, the, in, in clothing from the 1800s. They say she seems agitated, and, and those who have looked her in the face said that it's full of sadness and longing. Some believe that this apparition is the ghost of a widow who has lost her beloved son in the Civil War and she never reconciled herself to his death. And so she wanders up and down Mount Hebron Road looking for him to return from the battlefields. But she's doomed to live out her grief and disappointment every night when she realizes that once again, her son has not come back home. It's a simple ghost story. But you know what? It, it is the horror of many parents. A child who does not return home. A child addicted to drugs or in a destructive relationship or in jail. And, and some parents know what it's like to watch helplessly as even their adult children deal with an abusive spouse. And in that case, the child is not the prodigal but a, a victim. But still, the parent waits and, and worries and wonders. And then there are those who are off serving in the military, and they too are not the prodigal. But, but it's still hard for, for those who wait for their return. And so you see, anyone who is a parent can appreciate the agony that this father in Jesus' story must have felt even if your child is still at home. And that's probably why this story has spoken to so many millions of people down through the generations because it strikes at the very heart of what it means to be family. But of course, as we interpret Jesus' story here, we realize that you and I are the prodigal, aren't we? We're the prodigal here. At some point in our lives all of us have known what it means to be lost. There was a funny story a few years ago out of Oslo, Norway about a man named Jermond Skogstad. Seems that Jermond was moving into his new apartment when he took a break to get something to eat and he And he went to a a cafe, not too far from his new apartment, but, but he forgot to take his wallet. And his wallet contained his new address in it. And regrettably, he was unable to find his home again. He couldn't find his way back home. He couldn't find this new apartment that he was moving into. He said, this is embarrassing. He told a newspaper a month later. He hoped word of his plight would would reach his new landlady to whom he had paid a month's rent in advance. But Yermon was literally lost from his home. You ever experience what it's like to be lost? Sometimes I think it's easier for us to identify with the elder brother in this story than it is for us to identify with the prodigal because I mean most of us most of us we we don't really feel all that lost do we most of the time we're not bad people most of us and truth is we're good people we're pretty good people most of us stick pretty close to the rules and and we're not all that rebellious in our lives but friends there are all kinds of ways to be lost Alvin Brognis, a, a former seminary professor, said that, or he, he wrote in a book uh, when things go wrong. He suggested that he would have told the story of the prodigal son a little differently. He said he would have had the prodigal go into the faraway country with his inheritance, but instead of squandering away, he would have had him invest it in stocks and bonds, and and he would have become the the richest man in the land, and. And then one evening when his fellow citizens were throwing a big banquet for him and just fawning all over him, he would have had the prodigal come to himself and say, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I've done nothing of value with all that I've learned and I've been selfish. I've been self-centered thinking only of me and my and, and mine. Rognus then says that he would have had this outrageously successful prodigal to return home and confess to his father that he had sinned and was no longer worthy to be his son. And he would have asked his father to let me to return home and work on the farm and get my act together and change my priorities and and place less emphasis on me and more emphasis on others. You see, there are all kinds of lost, aren't there? The prodigal that Jesus described in, in his story is the prodigal of genuine contriteness. The prodigal that Alvin described is a prodigal of smug self sufficiency. And the prodigal of the elder brother represents the prodigal of smug self-righteousness. But they're all prodigals, aren't they? And there are all kinds of different ways that you and I can be lost. But thank goodness that in Jesus' story, even though we may be the prodigal son and daughter, the father in this story represents God. The prodigal son comes to himself and says, I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still far away, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him. And kissed him. You know it's unique to Jesus that he taught his followers to call God Abba, Daddy. That's what the word means, Daddy. But that's who God is. God is like a daddy who runs out to welcome a son. Or a daughter home. And our relationship with God is so very intimate. It's a relationship of utter dependence and love and acceptance. Tom Mullins in his book titled The Confidence Factor tells about a friend of his named Dana. He was staying at a rehab center in Florida. Seems that Dana was dealing with some some very destructive issues in his life and so Tom decided to drive out and to visit with him and as he pulled into the center, Tom was directed to go out to the barn where Dana was working. When Tom found him there, he was surprised that Dana was knee-deep in a pig pen with a big can of feed under his arm and he was covered in mud from impatient pigs scurrying up to be fed. What a scene, he says. Here was this successful businessman, a man who was usually well dressed and in Armani suits. And he was standing in this thick stench of a muddy pig pen feeding pigs on this brutally hot day. And as Tom watched Dana clomp through the mud, he couldn't help but to think about the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal had squandered his inheritance only to find himself sleeping in the pig pen and and eating with the swine. And Tom says that he was overwhelmed at the thought of the miracle that God wanted to do in Dana's life. Well, Tom got out of his car. He didn't stand on the edge and call out to Dana. He just walked right out in the middle of the mud (laughs) with Dana. Gave him a big hug. Told him he loved him. That he was proud of his efforts to know God and to to work through some of the challenges in his life. And eventually Dana did get his life turned around and his marriage restored. and, And today he runs a ministry where hundreds of people find healing and restoration through the power of Jesus Christ. Dana was abused as a child. He'd be the first one to tell you that the key to dealing with that, the pain of his childhood was to get his life refocused on God. For years, he tried to mask his pain with drugs and alcohol, but this pigpen experience forced him to take the focus off of himself. And once he learned how to trust in God with his hurt, he gained confidence to take action and to rescue the things that really mattered most. My friends, we are all like sheep who have gone astray and we all need to refocus our lives on God. Whether we've strayed just a few little baby steps away from God, or whether we've taken our inheritance into a faraway country and squandered our lives. The key to regaining our lives is to lose them in trusting God in all things. For you see, God's grace is sufficient for us all, and God's love is everlasting, and there's nothing that you can ever do that will keep you from the love of God. So, Won't you come home to the Father's house today? Amen. We're going to give you the opportunity to respond to God's Spirit working in in your life. We're going to sing a hymn of response, number 312, softly and tenderly. And there may be someone here today who needs to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel like you're a prodigal and you've been wandering around and squandering your life. Maybe you've gone just a little ways. Maybe you've gone a long way away from from what God would have you do. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that God loves you more than anything else in the world. And like a loving daddy, he's looking out the door waiting for you to come home. And he will run and he will hug you and he will kiss you and welcome you home. Maybe you need that today. Maybe you need that homecoming with God. Maybe you need to make that commitment to the Lord today that makes God your Father, your loving parent waiting for you and always there to love you. Or perhaps you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our church as we sing together softly and tender. Would you come? Gracious God, you have come to us in Jesus Christ and you have shown us your love, your grace, and your compassion. As we go from here, give us your patience when people are indifferent. Give us your love to reflect your grace and your forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.